broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. Almost sounded like a remix version. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little stagger in that you know, cut. Just a modern in- interpretation <laughs> of a classic song. Oh, my goodness. Folks, you're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We are streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live right here on uh, Joy 1250 in Southern Ontario, Real Radio, as they say. And uh, we're here each and every Saturday between 1 and 5 Eastern. John Anderson is undoubtedly one of the most recognizable voices in progressive rock as the lead vocalist and creative force behind Yes. Uh, John was the author and a major creative influence behind a series of epics produced by Yes and his role in creating such complex pieces as Close to the Edge, Awaken, especially The Gates of Delirium, was central to the band's success. Additionally, uh, John co-authored the uh, group's biggest hits, including I've Seen All Good People, Roundabout, Owner of the Lonely I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's ridiculous. John will be performing at the Oakville Center for the Performing Arts. And uh, that night that he will be performing, it's called An Acoustic Evening with John Anderson, Saturday, April 19th at 8 p.m. For tickets, you want to go to oakvillecenter.ca. Uh, for all things John Anderson, go to johnanderson.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the yes man, the ultimate yes man, Mr. John Anderson. Hi, John. How you doing? Hey, Mr. Drew. Good to hear you. What a great introduction. I appreciate it. Well, you uh, have earned it. <laughs> My goodness. So, I, listen, I, I was thinking for quite a while now, since we booked you on the show, how the heck am I going to start off this interview with the, with the uh, inimitable John Anderson? So this is what I've decided to start off with. Are you ready? Sure. Should the monkeys be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know this stuff. It's true. It's amazing that the Who only got in about four years ago. I can't believe it. Yeah, it is. A, what do you think? I mean, is it political over there? Are you allowed to have an opinion, by the way? Is it political? Are there any? Is there any kind of uh, uh, backdoor deals that go on in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, not well, not that I know, or else we would have been in by now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's just one of those wonderful things. I've actually played there a couple of years ago. I did a session where you actually do a question and answer, and then you sing a few songs, and it's a beautiful place. Mm. And uh, and I spoke to the main people, and I said, so where would we go if we got in here? Oh, they said, don't worry, we've got a little corner set up for you guys when you make it through. And it is a question of who votes when and how, and... It's something that I've never really, really been that into. It's just this last couple of years, they nominated us last year, and I thought, oh, that'd be cool, and it didn't happen. So they think, oh, it'll be nomination this year, and we'll get in next year, and I'll say, that'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think a cooler little award, and I know you're not into uh, into awards, although, if, like they say at the Academy Awards, it's just an honor to be nominated. I think... The greater gig would be the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts, don't you? I think that would be phenomenal. That would be serious. I know that, uh, in fact, The Who got in last year, yeah. and uh, Zeppelin the year before. Yep. So there's, there's kind of, you never know. Yeah. Who would you like to perform at your induction into the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts? Oh, uh, well, Paul Simon's already in. Um, you know, Alanis Morissette, just be cool. So you, so it would be cool to have Alanis Morissette perform one of the one of your songs. Oh yeah, she's just re- seriously good. 
That's interesting. I, I didn't uh, know. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Way to, way to pull for the Canadians. Good job. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of great com- Canadian uh, musicians and artists, and co- especially comedians. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you it's know, in the water. It must be in the water up there. It's in, it's in the Tim Hortons coffee. That they've, It's all made us <laughs> cynical, bitter, twisted human beings. And the weather, of course. So, listen, Mr. Alto Tanner, uh, when was the last time you were hitting top E's regularly? Uh, top E's, no, I'm I'm now at top, e, top D. That's where I stay now. Yeah. So how long ago were the top E's? Uh, probably, I was on helium at the time. <laughs> yes. I think it was going for the one. <laughs> um, who else is, I mean, Getty Lee, right? He would be kind of up there. Who, who else would have that status? Yeah, there were one or two people. The guy who used to sing with Foreigner and the guy that sings with Foreigner now, they're up there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, in doing the research for you prior to this interview, I, I sat back and watched some videos and and turned on some tunes. And, oh, uh, you know, there is just, and I, look, I know you hear this stuff from everybody all the time. People just sucking up to you, saying great stuff and rattling on about this, that, or the other. And, and I know as a, as a good British guy, even though you're now an American citizen, that uh, you take that stuff with a grain of salt. I get that. But, man. It just, right, Tim, I'm looking at my engineer here who is thrilled oh, to have yeah, you. you have no idea. And, and I, what is it about their music? The, you know, for me, the, the prog rock stuff in the, in the, the beginning, um, just so fascinating, so varied. So, and, I mean, the musicians they had in the band are like stand-up musicians on their own, just their own instruments. And then the 90215 album was just, it was like a, a formative album for me. Hmm. It's, it just brings back, you know, music brings back memories when you're listening to it. Yeah, like, what, I've got a was, whole what, summer of What was her name? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a girl, actually. <laughs> that was in my nerdy music stage. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, there's just something about their voices, uh, their musicianship, the songwriting, the yeah. production, all of it. Well, let's move on from the uh, sucking up, John, and and do a little biographical thing here. You and Tony worked on the farm from what ages ten to seventeen? Is that about right for you? Exactly. Where do you get that from? Very good. I just creeped on you a little bit. Um, okay. And getting up at 5.30, I think only a certain amount of people in the world should be up at that time. Because from what I've heard and studied in science, there's not enough oxygen to sustain the whole world being up at 5.30. It's true. It's just one of the things you do. And, you know, the family, I didn't have too much money. My dad was very sick. And uh, you go out there and just earn a bit of money per week. And you just do the milk, milking cows shoveling a lot of poop, and uh, delivering a lot of milk. And we used to sing Everly Brothers songs all the time. So we had fun. Well, from uh, the school choir to your first band, the Warriors with your brother Tony in 62, uh, you know, singing those Everly Brothers songs, to uh, Mabel Greer's Toy Shop. And then, yes, you know, I know you get asked this kind of typical interview question, but what was the turning point? Was it that Mabel Greer Toy Shop thing? Was that it? Was that the turning point? I think it was acid. <laughs> yes. Yes, magic mushrooms. I was in Germany on tour with my warrior band, and uh, we went to see, uh, um, I went to see, uh, what's it called now? Gosh, I can't remember. I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. But we, we were listening a lot to, uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper, yeah. and that, re- that really opened up our heads totally, and... Uh, I just wanted to create music that was different. That's all that I wanted to do. And I was listening a lot to Frank Zappa and bands like uh, Buffalo Springfield. And eventually there's a band that came up was called... Um, Vanilla Fudge? Vanilla Fudge. Yeah, you got it. 
and they changed the song. It was already a hit, and they moved and slowed it down a little bit. Set me free, why don't you, babe? A great, yeah. uh, already a big hit by the Supremes, and they slowed it down and really rearranged it. And I thought, that's it. You can you can just get all the music and rearrange it. And that's what I started doing with the Warriors, but they wouldn't get out of bed, and they told me to F off a lot. <laughs> so I decided to F off, and I found myself in London, and that's when I met Chris Squire. Nice. Okay, so these early influences, Zappa, Paul Simon, The Birds, Buffalo Springfield, Vanilla Fudge, Beatles, Fifth Dimension, told so many great stories, and of course, A Man With Your Life has so many great stories, but Southport... You and your brother, 1963, the Beatles are there, only 400 people, no screaming psycho chicks, right? Right. It was amazing. You, you know, you just listened to them play, and they did their whole first album. They just released Love Me Do, and we went to see them, and from that moment, just wanted to be a Beatle. So, 2008, would you say that was the year of all years? I mean, that was one hell of a year, was it not? Yeah, that was crazy. You know, uh, the new, I remember New Year's Eve of 2008, I nearly died in, in Kauai, and uh, I got stuck in a, 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 a what do they call it now, a slipstream. Rip. And I went out past the breakers, and I thought I was going to die. And I had this amazing experience where uh, my spirit guide said, just lie on your back, because I was panicking, and, and I couldn't swim very well out there. And I was about 400 yards out, and I was drifting, and I thought, I'll, I'll lie on my back. And, of course, the tide brought me back and threw me onto the coral reefs. And these 10-foot waves were bashing me against oh. the coral reefs. And I saw this guy walking along the beach, and I waved to him like crazy, and he waved back. A jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> and carried on walking. And I thought, God has such a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, you know, that very same thing happened to me. I lived in Australia for five years. And I, uh, I got caught in the rip, and I tried to fight it. You know, typical male, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Well, next thing yep. you know, I've got no energy, and I can't touch the ground anymore. And, oh, oh yeah, just, they say, just, just let it go. Just let it take you out, and then you'll come around the other side. Okay, so I'll just let it go, let it take me out. Well, of course, it takes you right back into the, into the reef, into the headland. True. Sure. Stupid people. But, you know, but that year, I really got sick a couple of times, and my wife saved me, uh, my wife, Janie. We travel around together now and all the time and with my acoustic guitars and stuff. And uh, she saved my life. You know, I stopped breathing. I was put in a coma for three days. And uh, later on that year, 2008, I had, I'd had this cough for quite a while. I've been touring with Yes with this cough that I just could not get rid of. And uh, I went to Stanford University Hospital up there in San Francisco hmm. and they figured it out. You know, I was. I've got an anolomy, an anolomy, an anolomy, or something like that. What do you got And they fixed it. It took seven operations over six months. And it was one of those things that I talk about on, on stage. You know, yeah. the three things I learned about hospitals is the nurses are great, the surgeons are amazing, and the drugs are fantastic. <laughs> so hold on. So that last thing was a, basically a poison pancreas, wasn't it? It was something like that. It was really, it's hard to explain over yeah. the... We'd have to sit down for an hour and explain, but uh, over the phone, it was a poison something. It was a poison something. Okay. So 2008, you nearly drowned. You had the asthma attack, nearly died in your wife's arm, and you had a poison something. So is that why in 2009 you became a U.S. citizen, because you thought you could get some health care eventually? <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> I've, I've been living in, in America for nearly 25 years then, and I thought, it's time, you know, it's time to be part of America. I'm, I'm married to a beautiful American girl, 
And I, I want it to be part of the dream because it's going to get better. That's yeah. all I can think about. Yeah. See, you, you have lived a life that many have dreamed of, and you have done things that many have dreamed of. And I just don't, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be high on LSD for about a year, being taken care of by two groupies in Germany smoking joints with Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Boy, these stories get around. <laughs> Dude, that is, uh, you know, not everybody has that story. You know what I'm saying? No, we just sat there. We, we didn't speak. He just rolled a joint, and we just looked at each other and smiled. And then I saw him about six months later in the Ronnie Scott's club. I just started, yes. And uh, Rassan Roland Kurt, one of the greatest uh, jazz players of all time, was playing there. And Jimmy came in with his guitar, and I stood up, and he looked at me, and he said, Munich. And I said, yes, it's John. How are you? <laughs> and we spoke, and he said, and he got up and did an incredible one-hour of pure jazz with Rassan Roland Kurt. And he told me what jazz is, and that's incredible. Incredibly, it's just chance music. When you do that chance music, yeah. that event, when yeah. you don't think about it, spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing spontaneous that I'm really good at is uh, is Twister. Remember that game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I brought that up. Okay, so the place in the world, geographically, that y if you had... Oh, you know, let's say, God forbid, you 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 know, you got a month to live, and 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 you decide, okay, I'm going to go somewhere and leave the world with one last creative masterpiece. Where would you go to do that? Paris. Hmm. For sure. Uh, you know, we walk around Paris, and I I'm always writing and painting when I'm there, and I've written a whole piece of music about Paris, and uh, one day I'll perform it there. It's just time. When the time happens, you know, when the yeah. time comes, I'll be there doing it. Well, it wouldn't be St. Paul de Vence? No, I loved living there very much, you know, uh, but uh, it's just one of those things, uh, you know, it's, it's very special when you meet, I met Chagall down there, yeah, and Mark Chagall, and I wrote this piece of music about him, but it's always been to perform it at the Opera House in Paris, where the ceiling is a beautiful Chagall painting. And it's a perfect place to sing all those songs. So it'll happen one day, maybe when I'm 90. Did you ever, when you were in St. Paul de Vence, did you ever go to that um, that little bar that's attached to the hotel, and as you walk through the patio, there's that, that statue of a thumb there where all those you know those great yeah. artists that you used to hang out with, you know, is, did you go to that bar? That's where I met Chagall. It Come on! 90, it was his 90th birthday. I really didn't know who he was. And I was introduced to him, and he kept looking over at me. There's about 20 people at the table, it was Bill Wyman who introduced me, because Bill lives nearby. Yeah. And uh, Shigali, he looked, smiled at me, and then his, his wife came over and said, would you like to come to the house this weekend? And I said, I'd love to. So that's how we met. And within a couple of months, I was there with my guitar singing songs to him. I was in that bar in October, and that was maybe one of my best experiences, just sitting in that atmosphere, knowing what the conversations that would have gone down in that place. Of course, you being one of them, I didn't know that till this week. And the atmosphere, the ambiance, I mean, the, and even, of course, I just walked through the village and, you know, you kind of pick up that whole vibe. And, and then you walk by the old boys playing bocce ball in the park and, oh, just fantastic. It's magic, pure magic. Yeah. And, and like you say, it's an ancient place. And there's so much art around that area. And, uh, it is amazing. John, you know, I, I've got you on the show here because, you know, you are one of the most spiritually intricate human beings I have ever read about. Another person that, that confuses me <laughs> greatly. <laughs> 
you know, you're in that sort of lineage as far as I'm concerned. Cat Stevens, the guy from uh, Seals and Crofts. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, I think it's Crofts. You know, there there's stuff that you believe that is this sort of confluence of of many things. And I have a hard enough time believing one thing. But, dude, you've mixed like 93 of them. No, no. You, you just believe in yourself, in your soul. Your soul is everlasting, so you never die. You're an infinite being, a spiritual being, living in this world at this moment in time, learning about a lot of things, learning lessons, and enjoying life and all the friends that you have and your children and so on and so on. It's just the whole idea of why we live is to find the divine within. So, okay, here we go. Do you mind if I start, <laughs> start firing these questions? Is there a God? Oh, truly. Yeah, God is all that is. You've got to understand it's not for us, our consciousness, to understand exactly who, what God is. It's that God is all that is. So do you, do you jive with the Judeo-Christian anthropomorphized God? I love the whole concept that Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, Jesus were risen masters, and that we are always connected with them throughout the world. We are one connected universal being together. Our, our souls are eternal. Everyone has, has the, the same light, the bright light within. It's just how they manifest it through their daily lives is up to them. And uh, I sing about it, and I get everybody to sing along with me at my show. Well, uh, Divine Mother Audrey Kitagawa got everyone to sing along as well. She is one of the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful people you could ever wish to meet. How would she rock my world? Like, let me just give you a quick backgrounder here, and then, and because I'm, like, I'm, I'm going it tough spiritually, right? I've been, I've been part of the Jesus Gang for a number of years. I'm a former pastor. I'm um, like many disillusioned with organized uh, religion, uh, but yet I have this insatiable hope inside of me that that drives me forward towards uh, truth. What I hope is truth. Uh, towards what I hope, th- you know, I hope there is a creator, a loving, personal creator, a loving, personal creator. Um, but I'm no longer living in the dogmatic world of certainty. Uh, and I've said this a thousand times on my show, I feel that doubt is actually more compatible with faith than certainty is. So that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. If I met Divine Mother Audrey Kitagawa, how would she rock my world? Well, um... I don't know how to explain it. You're just there in her presence, and you just feel this amazing sense of oneness and very, a wonderful sense of being in, in, in an enlightened energy field. And, and, and there's something about people like that. When you bump into them, you know that there's something wonderful and exhilarating, people to, so exhilarating to be around. And when she walks through the room and you bow in front of her, it's, it's just a token of love and appreciation and thankfulness. It's just uh, knowing that there are many people like her around the world. But the, th- the weird thing is, John, she's a lawyer. I know, she's brilliant. Well, the lady before her was just a, a simple householder who looked after people in the households of uh, Hawaii, in the Honolulu. And she was the first uh, lady that I met as I was, I was told she was Divine Mother, and I said, I'm busy doing a, an album at the moment to this lady in L.A., and I, she asked me again, please come and visit and meet Divine Mother. I said, yeah, yeah, I think I've met a couple of gurus. I'm not sure, that kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. then 
the day she came in, she said, oh, please, please. I think it was the tenth time she asked me. I said, okay, I'll come. <laughs> I went. And I, and I knew as soon as I walked in this room, this little lady, who just looked like my mother, actually, and she just sat there, and, and I sat in front of her, and I knew I was in the presence of a higher soul. And uh, she sort of blessed me. She didn't know who I was. And she said, well, what, what do you want to know? And I said, um, is God true? Is it real? And she said, God is all that is. And God is truth. And you are a sort of young guy trying to learn about meditation. I'll help you. And she just she said, you are right and you are ready for meditation. And within about a minute, we were in this beautiful cosmic space of quietness, peace, serenity. And I thank the gods that I've actually found that place of meditation. I've been trying for 15 years up to that point. Mm. And just being there in that moment... Oh, it was like heaven, honestly. You know, when you were on Howard Stern, he was asking a few questions about this stuff. I detected a, you know, reticence in you to kind of go into it. And probably, if I can get this right, you know, I mean, you're on Stern show, right? He's he's a yuckety yuck guy. He's he's <laughs> you know, he's just trying to get to the funny of things, and yeah, he yeah. wasn't probably genuinely interested in in what you had to say about this. But but are you are you always reticent about sharing it, or or uh, or was it just sort of that scenario? This is the first time that I've ever spoke about it on the radio. It's just because of the words you're asking and stuff. I remember when I went into uh, to uh, to see Howard. I, I, I followed this stripper who'd just been on this dildo thing that drives women crazy and stuff. Oh yeah. How do I Same how do him. I follow this? You know. And then the first thing he starts asking, he wanted to do roundabout with me, and he wanted to talk about you're a spiritual guy, John. Yes. Howard, we're all spiritual. I just happen to think about it. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Do you not share about it because it just, to you, it feels like you're maybe trying to sell it and you don't want to come across like you're selling it? You're Like you're proselytizing? I'm happy to share share when I'm singing. And everything that I sing is pointing towards that same effect that I get through singing the songs that I wrote for Yes. It was always about searching for the truth of reality, truth of life. And I sing about the light quite a lot, and, uh, and and I'm on stage every show that I'm doing BB Kings tonight here in uh, New York, and it's going to be fun. It'll be crazy and wonderful, but in the end, I'll still be singing about the light and, and be in a great place of thankfulness to be on stage and singing still after all these years. Let me finish this up by asking you, what the heck happened with the hanging up the Christmas lights breaking your backstory? Because apparently, through that accident, an, an enzyme was released in your body, and that was that was another kind of turning point for you. Well, I couldn't sing at the piano. I could play the piano, but but after the breaking of the bag situation, I remember being taken to the hospital, and, and the guy who took me to the hospital, he was looking at me. I was in serious pain. I kept saying, "Have you got any morphine? Have you got something morphine?" And he kept looking at me. He says, "Are you John Anderson?" I said, "Yes, just give me some morphine. Could I have your autograph." Please give me some morphine. I'll, I'll sign anything. <laughs> anyway, so so being in in this sort of plastic cast for about three months because I had a broken back, I'd play the piano every day, and all of a sudden one day I started singing at the piano, and I thought, "Wow, you got to break your back to be able to sing at the piano." <laughs> you know, it's normally true. normally it's break a leg, but yeah, we, we can do this. Sure. Well, listen, I am. I'm frustrated that we're we're out of time because I just have so many more questions for this 
you know, look, I'm a, I'm a fan of your music, obviously, but uh, oh. but I'm so much more a fan of this journey that you're on, this spiritual thing, because it seems elusive to me, and you're not the first person that uh, would almost suggest to me, and I don't know whether you'd say this, John, maybe confirm or, confirm or deny this. Are you suggesting that I need to hit some shrooms before things turn on? Why not? <laughs> Seriously? Well, you know, Native American culture, they talk about uh, marijuana as uh, the, the, the truth medicine, you know? So on my on my 40th birthday, I should have gone to an island in Malaysia and hit some shrooms. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm, I'm just in a way joking, but things of, things of life are very important. You should never sort of be shy away from experiencing things that are going to open up your heart. Yeah. Man, I am so sorry for the hurt that you have gone through in your life. You know, there hasn't been... I mean, I, I wish bankruptcy upon no one. I, I wish divorce upon no one. You know, I know there's some other thing, but it sounds like you are an eyes wide open kind of guy, and that those moments really help to transform you. You know, the broken back, the almost drowning, that 2008 year. My goodness. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking of a song I wrote. I'm still going to sing it one day. Lessons never learned to lessons born again and again. You are just giving me a headache. Uh, John, <laughs> John, I'm just so appreciative of your time. And, uh, folks, you got to get to this concert in Oakville. We'll tell you more about it later in the show. But, again, just briefly, uh, Saturday, April 19th, 8 p.m., right in Oakville, the Oakville Center for the Performing Arts, John Anderson. Thank you, John, for your time and, and sharing some of your inside guts with us. Thank you, Drew. You're a wonderful being, I tell you. Thanks, mate. We'll talk again, I hope. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. John Anderson on the Drew Marshall Show. Uh, wow. See, we, we talk we talk to everybody about no matter what they believe. Yes. But you know who else told me I should I should do some organic stuff? That, that Survivor Man? Yes. Les Stroud. <laughs> Survivor Man They're and John Anderson. They're about the same Anderson. height, those two guys, but right? Is it a short guy thing? Or maybe it's the high voice thing. Does, does Les Stroud have a high voice? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> uh, what a I can't I can't believe you haven't played Owner of a Lonely Heart. Come on. That's I'll, the big I'll one. You're it, just playing no, your little novelty favorites. No, no, no. You going, see, hey, I'm a yes insider. No, 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 I know no, all the inside no. cool songs. Do you remember when um, we had uh, Teller or Penn? Penn Gillette on? Yes. And how I chose a non-obvious song? That's why I trusted you with this. Yeah. See? I wanted to play a song that he would go, okay, I haven't heard this a million times before. I wanted to show him that we respect his musical abilities. Well, then we should have played some music from one of his kids. They're all fantastically really? talented kids. Yeah, Deborah, by the way, is his eldest. Brilliant photographer. He's taken some uh, fantastic pictures, even celeb shots. Uh, George Clooney, Pink, Elton John, Cindy Crawford, Sting, Kid Rock. Fantastic wow. uh, talent. Damien and Jade, they're also in the biz. Anyway, all right, listen. That was John Anderson. What would you think? Because you were giddy, you were giddy I about was giddy. That like, it's just, like I told him on the phone when I called, like he, is, he was a... Formative part of a musical upbringing is yes. Don't don't creep on my guests. I wasn't. I just I just wanted to say thanks and like yeah, huge huge part of my life. (laughs) Yes. So all right, a short break. All right, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey folks, I want to tell you about the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. You ready for this? For 1250, that's right, only $12.50, we'll mention your organization's name, website, and a brief description. Did you catch that? 
During each show, we'll read out your organization's name, website, and a brief description for only $12.50. Now, obviously, there's no point in doing that only once during a four-hour show, so we'll read your advertisement four times per show for an entire month, and each time we do it, it'll only cost you $12.50. It's kind of like putting an advertisement up on every church bulletin in the GTA. Except you don't have to get permission from that grumpy old lady at the front desk. Now look, because there are limited spots available for our 1250 special, why don't you call us right now, toll free on 877-JOY-1250. Now sure, we're right in the middle of things here in the show, but if you call us right now, toll free on 877-JOY-1250, we'll take your name and number and call you back on Monday to sign up for the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. This is nuts. Are you sure we want to do this? How am I supposed to make any money?